John chapter 8, if you'll turn over there. How many are having a good week? Amen. <laughs> That's good. How many want to talk to some people who've been having a good week? Amen. All right, look at those people who raised their hand. You'll talk to one of them before you get out of here today. Find the, get, just catch that good week from them. <laughs> there were three people who were from different parts of the country. And they passed, they all died at the same time. And they were met at the gates, of course, by St. Peter. That's because that's always meets people at the gates for some reason. <laughs> the first was an architect from California. And Peter said, you have built beautiful buildings and served men on the earth. But before you can come in, you have to pass one small test. You have to spell God. So he said, G-O-D. All right, you can get in. So the second person approached, and it was a rancher from Texas. You've served men upon the earth by providing food to the cattle you've raised, but before you come in, there's just one small test. You need to spell God. G-O-D. All right, they're in. Third person came, an attractive businesswoman from New York. Said, you serve the world of commerce, but before you can come in, you have to pass one small test. At this, the woman interrupted. Oh, come on now, saint. I've had to fight for every promotion I've ever gotten. I've had to take lower pay for the same job as a male colleague. And I've been continually harassed by bosses and peers for one reason, my gender. And now here I am, and you're giving me a hard time too? All right, what kind of test? So Peter thought for a moment, and he said, Spell Czechoslovakia. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, our attitude can change things, can it? Our attitude certainly just changed some things. We've been on the last number of weeks, uh, last couple of weeks, we've been looking at some things that cause us to have something against another. And we find out if we have something against another, it interferes with our prayers. We saw that in Mark chapter 11. And we saw, we looked at three different things that brought this about. The first one was pride. Pride is a quality or ability not recognized or utilized properly by others. That's where pride comes from. I feel that I have a quality or an ability that's not recognized or utilized properly by others. It comes against the godly quality of... Come on, you ought to have this down now. Humility. Humility. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't forgive because of a distorted view of value and importance. The second area was bitterness. This is a feeling of deep and bitter anger and ill will, a resentment strong enough to justify retaliation. The root of this is a response or accusal perceived or received wrongfully. Someone doesn't always have to say something to me. Sometimes I pick up how they're looking at me or raise the eyebrow and I perceive that I've received something wrongfully. We looked at some of the people who became bitter. We also understood no one was born bitter. You become that way. The third one. Well, this, this comes against the godly character quality of joy. And I don't forgive because of a selfish view of the situation. The third. We started two weeks ago was entitlement. To give a person the right to do or have something. Qualify or allow. To give a name or title to. To confer a title of rank of honor or honor upon. We said the root of this was something denied that I have earned or deserved. An entitlement mentality comes because of something that is denied that I feel I have earned or that I deserve. We may not have come to this knowledge on our own. Someone else may have sown the seeds in us. However, we are the one who waters them. Now, we also made this note, very special note about this third area. It is difficult to get into this third arena with having passed through, without having passed through at least one of the first two. You don't just get into this. Usually you're going to come through the way of bitterness. You're going to come through the way of pride or both. So you come through that way. You'll get into this. It comes against the godly, godly quality of grace. Even mercy and thanksgiving. And I don't forgive because of the corrupted view of what I deserve. And this causes us to be unforgiving and to have something against another. So we want to 
finish this part of it up here on, on, on this aspect. For the first time we looked at this, we looked at what entitlement was. Last week, we looked at how to overcome it in our life. And this week, we wanted to deal with the very special problem of how to deal with people that are like this. <laughs> because audio, how many of y'all know we had no people that feel entitled to things? And we have to make sure that we get, get out of that. So we're going to look at a couple of examples before we get into our main one. We're going to first off look at how God deals with something. How does God deal with people who feel entitled? Y'all want to know? Numbers chapter 16, verses 1. Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dasan and Abiram, the son of Eliab, and on the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. So well-known, well-thought-of, good-reputation people, leaders amongst the congregation, 250, they stirred up. These are the people who rose up. In verse 3, they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? Seems similar to what we saw with Miriam and Aaron, doesn't it? Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Now look how they bring this. They bring this and they camouflage it. You take too much upon yourselves for all the congregation is holy. People who have this mindset generally come on the behalf of more than themselves. But all they're after is what they get. Do you think that these guys have any concern? that the rest of Israel gets the position that they want. They are concerned that they get it. They feel they are entitled to it. They feel we are just as holy as Moses. We are priests of the Lord. I mean, all the congregation is holy. Why shouldn't we also have some of the rights and privileges that Moses has? Some of the things that Aaron does. Of course, they didn't bring Aaron into this one, but I'm sure that they looked at that as well. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Now, does Moses exalt himself above the assembly of the Lord? No. no. God exalts him that way. And we've been studying the book of Joshua on Wednesday nights. And we see that God's promise, one of the promises that God made to Joshua was, I will exalt you so that they will see that I will, as I was with Moses, so I am with you. And God said, I'll exalt you. Moses didn't exalt himself. God did. But now they're looking. They look on this and they say, well, God, God didn't do it. They did it themselves. Verse 4. So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face and he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. That, that one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all your company. Put fire in them and put incense in, the, incense in them. Before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. <laughs> then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Now we said this, is there a purpose to raise up the children of Israel? No, it's to raise up themselves. That's all that they really want to do. And Moses says, You take too much upon yourselves. It is a, this is a key verse here. If you have a highlighter, like to do those kind of things. Highlight this one. Is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve him? People who have slipped into this mentality of entitlement, generally through the area of bitterness or through the area of pride or both, people who have adopted this generally count what they have as nothing or little and what they don't as everything. It said to them, Is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to Himself to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve them? Is that a small thing? Have you been doing this so long that what God does to honor you is now considered small and trivial? We've got to be careful. 
If you get into this mentality, if you let this mentality come upon you, what God has done for you, you don't count as a whole lot. You don't count your blessings or the things that have gone on in the past. You don't see the hand of God and the things that, you, that He has brought you through. You forget those things. And this is what the children of Israel did when the, God brought them through the Red Sea. What did they do when they ran out of water? Counted the Red Sea as nothing. It became minuscule. Who cares about bringing us through the Red Sea? We need water. It's real easy when you get into this mentality. You'll, you'll stop being thankful. You get out from the grace of God and the mercy of God. And you start wanting to tell God, I need to receive what I deserve. And God says, you don't want that. <laughs> you don't want that, really. No, 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 God. I, I, I've worked real hard. Look at the things that I've done. I want to get what I deserve. You don't want what my grace has for you? No, I want to have what I deserve. Okay. <laughs> That's basically what these guys are doing. Verse 10, And that He has brought you near to Himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi with you. And are you seeking the priesthood also? Don't take for granted what God has done for you, what God has blessed you with. It's real easy to begin to look at other places and say, oh, I wish it was that way. Paul teaches about this in the New Testament when he says, if you were created to be an eye, why are you longing to be what a nose is or an ear is or a hand is? There's other people that you can go through an example and see this. Remember Ahab the king? We talked about him a while ago. He wanted a vegetable garden. He had all this property, big, huge castle, all kinds of riches, but he didn't have a vegetable garden near his house. And all the world was over. He went in his room and cried and wept and was just depressed and wouldn't eat because he didn't have a vegetable garden. David had uh, more wives than God told him he should have. Anything more than one is more than God told you should have. So he had more than one, but he saw another. And he decided he needed to have that. Probably came up with, I deserve that. Look what I've been doing. Adam and Eve came to the tree and said, we deserve to eat that fruit. We should have that knowledge of good and evil. It's real easy to fall into this mentality. Sometimes it can take a long period of time and sometimes it can be pretty quick. But I know people that have been in this mentality for years and it stops them from getting the things that God, that God wants. We're going to jump on down to verse 25. The rest of the story is good too. Go on back there and read the whole thing if it's been a while. Then Moses rose and went to Dothan and Abiram and the elders of Israel followed him and he spoke to the congregation saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from around the tents of Kohath, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives and their sons and their little children. Can you just see this going on? Here they all are. Everybody's kind of intermingling with them. And then all of a sudden God says, get away from those folks over there. And they all kind of part and get away. Then they won't touch it. It's kind of like some people are, you know, if you drop a potato chip on the floor. <laughs> right? Ew! <laughs> it's no good anymore. Well, you know, that's uh, in a much greater degree, that's what is going on here. In other words, they got something on them. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens up its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. So basically, Moses is calling for this. Now, I don't know if you've ever played basketball with... Uh, a group of guys, but there's some guys I once in a while get to play some basketball with, and these guys can shoot the basketball. You know, I, I play with them, I'm kind of, a, I pass. I'm a good passer. And once in a while, I even hit a shot. <laughs> but there's some of these guys, they can, they come on down, and they just pull up at midcourt and shoot. And it goes right through. Just right through. Nothing but net. Just right on down. And there's the other guys that all shoot from different spots, and they just they just hit it. But once in a while, 
it clangs off the rim and then goes in. And every time it happens, or if it hits the backboard and it goes in, every time it happens, all the guys in unison will say, did you call that? If you didn't call off the backboard, it don't count. If you didn't call off the rim, it don't count. Moses, is what he's doing here, is he's calling for it. You know what? Every once in a while, one of the guys would do it. He would shoot the ball up and he said, off the backboard. Sure enough, off the backboard and into the, into the net. <laughs> so then it counted. I'm sure the other ones counted too, but this is what he's doing. He is calling for it. Remember that commercial they did with uh, Larry Bird and who was the other guy? Was it uh, uh, Mike? Or the two? And they were shooting and they would, uh, they would you know, just start in the gym and they bounce it off different things, and then they would go in, and then pretty soon there are blocks away, <laughs> and shooting that thing off this roof, off here, over to there, bounce off this, into there, swoosh. <laughs> they called for it. I mean, it was out, outlandish that it would happen. This is what Moses is doing. He is calling for something that they have never seen. This is new, and he's calling for it ahead of time. It is one thing to say that was God after it happens, but it's a whole other thing to say that's God before. And then see it go on. Verse 31. Now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them. Right after he gets done talking. Right after he states what's going to happen, it happens. As soon as he stops talking, God's just sitting there waiting. Just waiting for you to get done. As soon as you get done, we're going to do it. <laughs> and as soon as he got done, opens right up. And the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men of Korah with all their goods, so they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. And the earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel, who were around them, fled at their cry. For they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the two hundred and fifty men who were offering the incense. So there's more than just two hundred and fifty in here. There's a bunch of them got swallowed up by the earth, and the other ones got burned up by fire. The rest of the story is great, what they do with the, the uh, things that they made, and uh, they make another memorial out of it. If you haven't read it in a while, when you get home, read it again. Don't read it now. <laughs> but it's a good story. Now, then we see, how does God deal with people with an entrenched mindset that they deserve things, that they are entitled to things? How does He deal with it? He opens up the ground and eats them up. So when we're learning about how to deal with people with entitlement, what should we do? <laughs> what have you said you wanted to do before? <laughs> you might be on the same page with God sometimes. Acts chapter 4, verse 34. Now there was, a, there was, no, nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourselves? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. How does God deal with people who feel that they are entitled to something? Now, Ananias saw the great things that had come to Barnabas because people, wow, Barnabas, what a generous guy. Oh, he was getting all kinds of praise and things. And he decided, I ought to get that. I'm just as generous. And so, well, he caught his wife together. Well, we'll sell this piece of property and we'll act like we're giving the whole thing, but we'll keep back part of it. And Peter said, look, it was your property. No one said you had to do it. No one said once you did sell it that you had to give all of it. You could have given part of it. You could have done whatever you want. Why have you tried to lie? Because he felt like he was entitled to something because I should get that kind of glory. Same way Barnabas did. He felt like he was entitled to the thing. How did God deal with it? He's dead. 
And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, carrying her out and buried her by her husband. This is before, you know, uh, CSIs and all that. Because they all would have still been on the scene, you know, processing the thing and taking pictures and all that sort of stuff. But not back then. They died, you'd go out there and you bury them. <laughs> so great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Well, how does God deal with people who have an entrenched mindset of entitlement? Should we follow God's example? <laughs> now, before you just dismiss this outright, I want you to think to yourself, how many have ever, when you're driving your car, have feel, found people who feel that they are entitled to pull out in front of you and cause you to slow down and cause a very dangerous situation because they might be a minute late and have pulled right and created a dangerous situation? And how many have thought have conceived of the idea of fitting your car with a laser. <laughs> that when people do this, you just push the button and they're gone. Right? That's how we can get rid of this kind of thing. We've thought about that, haven't we? Well, God doesn't just think about it. He actually carried it out. <laughs> he just zapped them right out of there. But, it, but we want to know how we're supposed to deal with it. And I don't think it would go real well if we all did what God did. So I needed to find another example. <laughs> but we do know how God de deals with it. When God deals with something this severely, is it important in His mind? It is important in His mind. We need to stay out of this mentality. If you allow this to get into you, it is a problem. And it is contagious. People who have an entitlement mentality, will spread it to other people. Now, we'll show you that in this example. In John chapter 8, verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, He came again to the temple, and all the people came to Him, and He sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to Him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to Him, Teacher, this woman has, was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, we've covered this story before, but we're going to go over some of the same details just so we're all fresh on this and everybody understanding this. If you catch a woman in adultery, there are a couple things missing from this story. Number one, what is she wearing? Probably nothing. <laughs> More than likely, she is not wearing anything. So you drag this woman out into public and throw her in the midst of people. One translation actually put it that way. They forced her to stand in the midst of the people. Now, does that sound nice? What else is missing from this story? If you caught a woman in the act of adultery, the man is missing because a woman cannot commit adultery by herself. woman is very capable. She can do a lot of things, but that is not something that she can do. There needs to be a man there as well. The man is missing. There is no man in this story. Which tells us that for the scribes and the Pharisees, the man wasn't important. So, if their concern is we need to get rid of the sin, why didn't we bring the man and the woman? More than likely, they've already identified to Jesus that it was a scheme. That they set up one of their men to lure this woman into this situation. And when they were in a place that the time was right, they jumped in and pulled her out, drug her in front of Jesus and said, all right, here we go. Now, what kind of a mindset do you have to have to do that to someone? Because this is a sick mindset, people. This is damaging. To, this, is, this is someone who's, in order for me to accomplish what I want to do, I will step on whoever I need to. I will use whomever I need to. And we will bend the rules and do whatever needs to be done to get this, get this accomplished. Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very 
act. We don't just know about that she has done this. We caught her in the act. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Moses in the law. See, what they're trying to do is Jesus is a new guy on the block. Moses, he's an old, revered leader. And he has good credentials. So if we can compare Jesus to Moses and get Moses to identify Jesus as a fraud, we can just sit back and take it in. We told you all he was no good. Moses said that we should stone her. That's what's said in the, in the Bible. But, you know, <laughs> we understand you're above all those things and you're kind of just, you know, disregarding the law as we teach people to regard the law. So, since that's what the law says and that's what Moses said, what do you say? Now, when they can conceive this idea, they figure that Jesus has two options. One, to not stone her or two, to stone her. Can you think of any other option? Either you are going to stone her or you are not. And they figure if he stones her, we got him. And if he doesn't stone her, we got him too. They figure this is pretty good. We got it pretty tight. Their purpose here is to bring Jesus down and to elevate themselves. They want to bring Jesus down and elevate themselves. We see this, I constantly talk about this, but the news media does it. Politicians do it. They constantly want to bring people down and in the process, elevate themselves. They want to bring corporations down and elevate themselves. They create problems and blame others for it. They regulate things into oblivion and then say the free market system doesn't work. It's a lie. It's a hoax. And I hope none of you fall for it. Because if you do, if you listen to the media on a regular basis, and if you believe what a lot of these politicians are selling, it will not be long until you catch this mentality. And God hates it. He hates it so much, He opens up the earth to swallow people up. He has people drop dead in the middle of a church service. Because he despises this mentality that much. And really, how are you going to hold God accountable? If the earth opens up and swallows people, you know, what are the arresting officers going to do? <laughs> Not much they can do, is it? <laughs> well, Moses said it. God hates this mentality. If you let this get in, it hinders you in every aspect of your Christian life. You will never have the relationship with God that you should, nor the power of God working through you. So Satan loves to get this mentality into people. He loves people to think, you deserve this. You should get this. You should have this. This should be yours. They're keeping that from you. Those rich people, oh, they're bad. No, they're not. They're just rich people. Thank God for rich people. Thank God that you can even become a rich person. God made people rich. I don't think he's against rich people at all. Yeah, but some of them are greedy. Well, good. Then that's all they'll have is what they have in this life. You've got more. We've got to stop being against people because they're rich, because they're poor. We've got to stop being against people because of the color of their skin, because of the religious makeup, because of what country they came from, because of what their beliefs are. We've got to stop all that. It makes no difference. There's one God. He sets the rules. Whatever He says goes. Now, in this country, you have the freedom to believe in any God you want to. But, if you die, or when you die, and you got it wrong, <laughs> oh well, but God has made it very clear who He is. And He is the only one who says, it's not what you do down here that gets you saved what my son did. He's the only one who says that. He's the, Christianity is the only religion, only one, that you can have full assurance that when you die, you're going to heaven. Because it's not what you did. It's what God did. <laughs> yeah. 
So that's why I can have confidence. Because people come up, wait a minute, I know what you... don't matter. It don't matter what I did. Because I don't get what I deserve. I'm getting what Jesus deserved. He got what I deserve. Already. <laughs> don't get into that deserve part. But Satan would love to get you into that. Because, and this is what Jesus taught about it, if you don't forgive others, I won't be able to forgive you. My Father in Heaven won't be able to forgive you. Don't do it. Don't get into that area. Stay out of it. So, how does Jesus deal with these people whose only purpose is to bring Him down, elevate themselves, and they will use people like this woman to get it done? Now, see, Jesus is a whole lot smarter than I am and than you are. If we figured all this out about these people, Jesus knew it already. As soon as they showed up with just the woman. I'm sure He's thinking, where's the man? And I'm sure He knew that the man was in on it. So, when they continue... Well, it's going back. Then they were... This they said, testing him, verse 6, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, key phrase here, as though he did not hear. Now, you all know how to do this, don't you? We know how to not hear people. We do. For some people, you are very good at it. Are there not people in your life that you purposely tune out? Because if they open their mouth, you know this is not good. We just, just tune it out. I don't need to hear what they're saying. It's going to be bad. They're going to be this. They're going to be... You just tune it out. We can tune things out. What Jesus is telling us here is that people who have this mentality, tune them out. And he went down and he started writing on the ground like he's not even hearing. Now, they're not just watching them. Look at what it says they do. So when they continued asking him, in other words, they asked him when he was standing up, and then he bends down, he starts writing some stuff in the, in the sand, which we don't ever know what it is. He starts writing some stuff in the sand. They keep saying, come on, what are you going to do? Should we stone her? Not stone her. He doesn't, he's pretending like he's not hearing them. He's just writing in the sand. Come on, Jesus. What should we do? Stone her? Not stone her. He's just ignoring them. Do you know it is godly to ignore some people? Come on. I'd, I'd give you more than one verse. Doesn't the Word of God tell us that if you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear you? <laughs> Why? Dum de dum dum dum. Dum de dum dum dum. <laughs> I will not hear. I will not hear. I will not hear. You've all had that. You know, we certain people, they don't want to hear things. They just start making noise. La, 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 la. <laughs> we had this one guy over at hockey. He, when we when the Flyers are playing on Tuesday, he always records the games. And so when we come on in, because one of the things we do when we're on hockey is you know we monitor who's ever the sports team is playing, Phillies, Flyers, whoever it might be. We we monitor it. And so when a guy is sitting on the bench, um, the job usually falls to me. I pull out my little machine and check the score, and then they'll holler over, what's the score? And so, but Andy will ask him when he comes in, are you taping the game? I'm taping the game. All right, so then we have to all go around, and we have to whisper the score to each other. Because he doesn't want to hear. And if any of us start talking about the Flyers game, what's going on, la, 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 la. <laughs> He's tuning us out. He doesn't want to hear. Because that just ruins watching in the game. So he tunes us out, doesn't listen to the radio all the way on home, and finally when he gets there, he'll, he'll turn it on and he'll... He'll watch the game. But this is godly. There are some people that you are not to listen to. Just tune them out. Can't hear you. See your lips moving, but don't hear nothing. Jesus is just going on like, I'm not hearing you. Just doing my own thing. He feels no pressure to respond to them. See, a lot of times we get ourselves in trouble because we feel like we have to respond to them. He feels no pressure. He's just going on. La, 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 la. Writing in the sand. Not paying him any attention. Don't let people with this mentality pressure you. Because they'll do it. Oh, but look at these people. Look at the condition they're in. We need to take money from here and put it over there for them. No, you don't. Oh, but if we don't, they'll, then they'll be hurt. It's ridiculous. Since, the, what was it, the 60s, we started the war on poverty? 
and how many billions, maybe even the trillions of dollars have been spent on that. And you know what? We have just as many poor people now as we did then. What's that mean? Didn't do any good. Didn't do any good at all. You got to get people out of this mentality. If people, and generally, not all poor people have this. Don't put them in a box. There are some poor people that do not have this mentality at all and there are some rich people who have picked it up. You can be poor, you can be rich. You can have this mentality. But the folks that are poor and have this mentality remain poor. They don't get ahead. Because they keep waiting for someone else to come on in and do something. And the Word of God says, I will bless the things that you put your hand to. Get your hand busy. Put your hand and, and be talking about it the whole time. Father God, I thank you that this is blessed. I thank you that this is going to go good. Stop talking it down. Stop saying, well, this probably failed like everything else I ever tried. Well, there you go. Talking doubt and unbelief. Don't need to be doing that. So finally, Jesus stands up. So when they had continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, what an answer. I mean, if I was in Jesus' shoes... I have no idea what I would have done. I probably got myself in trouble. <laughs> but that's Jesus. He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, people have surmised that he's writing things on the ground that have to do with their situations. I have every reason to believe that that's probably true. I'm sure he's writing something that has to do with the situation they're in. He might be writing down there, where's the man? He might be writing down on the, on the ground a meeting they had when they concocted the scheme. Because the Spirit of God may have given that to them. He may have given them the names of people that were not present but were involved. Whatever it was, it brought them into a sharp place of conviction. And they all want her to be stoned, but they don't want to be the ones who do it. They wanted Jesus to be the one who did it. He who was without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone. Now, I feel for Jesus in this situation. Because there had been anything like the, situa the uh, climate of today, this is scandal. Jesus was found alone with a naked woman. Wouldn't they? I mean, they'd probably you know, be taking pictures from far off and, and flashing them up there. Jesus left alone with a naked woman. How are you going to follow this guy? Is that what happened? No. It don't matter. All they want to do is promote a thing. That's all they want to do. That's why I don't, don't always listen to all these reports about people. When they come on out and they say, this one did this and this one did that and, and so forth. They're probably lying to you. Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Where are those accusers of yours? You watch this and you tell me if it's not true. People who have a mentality of entitlement are generally always accusing other people. In fact, if you hear someone who is continually accusing other people of things, more than likely, this mentality has gotten a hold of them. Look at what Jesus... Jesus' words are beautiful. Woman... Neither do I condemn you. See, regardless of whether she was lured in this or not, she was involved. But Jesus doesn't say, look, you're guilty. doesn't do that. He says, where are your accusers? And they're gone. I think that's neat that the woman understood that they were gone and that Jesus was not one of them. They're gone. Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. This is what we need to get our mentality focused on. We so much see Jesus and God as sitting up there accusing us of every wrongdoing that we've ever done. And that's not what they do. There are times that things have not come to us that have come to other people. 
blessings that came to one brother or sister and they didn't come to us. And immediately we begin to think in our mind, it must be because God is looking at me and seeing this. And we see God as an accuser. We see Jesus as an accuser. And the reason I don't have this is because they see me as being wrong. They see me as being guilty. Listen to Jesus' words. Neither do I accuse you. I'm not, I'm not here to accuse you either. God is not here to try and accuse you. He's, trying to hear, he's here to get us to pull us out of things. And that's a different mindset. Remember last week we were talking about what is the cure for this? Servanthood. If you become a servant, you will not pick this up because people who have an entitled mentality do not serve other people. And God said, if you want to become the greatest in the kingdom of God, you must become the servant of a few. Servant of uh, those deserving. Of all. The greatest in the kingdom is the one who is a servant of all. A servant mentality is the enemy to an entitlement mentality. What does that make an entitlement mentality the enemy of? Being a servant. And if entitlement is the enemy of the servanthood mentality, then entitlement is keeping you from becoming great in the kingdom of God. If you get rid of this mentality, no matter what you have been told, why you deserve it, let it all go. Father God, I don't deserve a thing. (laughs) But I thank you I don't get what I deserve I thank you that by your grace and by your mercy, you have blessed me with this ministry. You have blessed me with this knowledge. You have blessed me with this opportunity. You have blessed me with these friends. You have blessed me with these relatives. And I will do my best while I am here. I will apply myself. I will listen to you. And I will serve them and help them and bring them into the kingdom. And you just keep on going on. And then the devil wants to come and say, look at that. Look at the gift that God gave that one over there. How come he didn't give that to you? And instead of mulling on it, yeah, why didn't he give that to me? Surely I could have done some great things with that. No, you don't do it. I serve God with what I've been given to to serve. To some, God gave ten. To some, God gave five. And some, God gave two. Some, God gave one. They gave them all kinds of different things. But they were faithful with what they had. And he praised them for their faithfulness, not for how much they gained, but for their faithfulness. For their faithfulness. There was a First grade teacher, she was seeking to teach on servanthood in the school. And so she got all the kids together. And she she uh, said, I want you to tell me, what do you do to help out at home? To be a servant at home. What do you do to help out at home? And one of them said, well, I dry the dishes. The other one said, well, I sweep the floor and run the vacuum. The other one said, well, I you know, feed and water the dog. And they went around one by one, one by one, going all the way on around the room. And they all came up with something except this one boy in the back. He didn't raise his hand. And so after everybody else got done, the teacher said, what do you do at home? He said, I stay out of the way. That's not a servant, is it? We're not called to stay out of the way. We're called to serve. We're called to serve. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Get out there and and to help. Servanthood. That's what gets us free of this mindset. Put in your outline this. Jesus combated their attack by turning the attention from the sins of others to the sins of our own. Jesus combated their attack by turning the attention from... See, they're focused on the sins of others. The sin of this woman that deserves to be stoned. When the Pharisees and the Sadducees ministered among the people, they were letting them be conscious of the things they did against the law. They were concerned with the sins of others. Jesus one time taught them, he says, you need to take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your brother's. He's trying to get them to be stopping focused on the sins of themselves or of others and get it focused on the sins that they've done. It's the same mentality I have to have. If you want to battle this mentality amongst the people that you are around, what you have to do is get them from focusing on how other people are sinning, how other people are letting God down, how other people are not measuring up, and get them to focus on what can you do for yourself. 
If you do that and you stop focusing on the faults of others, it's a whole lot easier to serve them. It's a whole lot easier to walk in the grace of God and the mercy of God. Oh, it's so much easier. That's what we need to do. So I put this in your in the end here for your outline. Since we can't follow God's example, <laughs> since we can't do it God's way, let's, let's go ahead and lay it, follow the one that Jesus laid out for us. How about that? Because then nobody's dying. It's a whole lot easier. First off, the entitlement mentality is contagious. Amongst the Sadducees and the Pharisees, almost every one of them had it. They would get amongst themselves, they would talk among themselves, and they would spread it among themselves. If you get around entitlement people enough, it will spread to you. If you embrace what they are teaching, it can spread to you. Be careful with your kids in school. We always, you know, with, with Christian and Lisa, we always were talking to them about the things that they were learning in school. And when we began to see some of this entitlement stuff begin to work its way in, we, can, we help them to combat it. We help them to stand up against it. We help them to identify these kind of teachers. And we would go in there for the parent-teacher conferences. They generally always did them on a Thursday night. My wife was always out here at worship practice. So most of the time I had to go by myself. And all that I was looking for is I'm going to size up these teachers. Which one? And I wasn't really thinking about entitlement. But I was just thinking, which one have this mentality and want to pass this on to my child? And I would come on home and talk to my son about some of the teachers. And I, I could identify which ones were going to be a favorite one of his and which one he was going to struggle with. And there were a couple of them that said, all right, in this class, they're going to try. And if you need any ammunition, if you need any help, you let me know. I will arm you to the teeth and I will stand by anything you do in school. You do not let them just teach you this stuff. Fight them. Fight them. Don't let it happen. Don't let it, don't let it just go on. You know, just sitting back and just looking at things going on isn't, isn't helpful enough. You need to, to stand up and, and to, to say some things. There's a, I mean, this is just a small note on, on some things, but how many have been in the grocery store? And, you know, I like Diet Coke. But the Coca-Cola brand was, was promoting this polar bear theme. To save the polar bears. Well, the polar bears don't need to be saved. There's more polar bears now than there ever have been. It's a lie. It's all a concocted thing. And so when I heard that this was going on, I immediately, within 24 hours, wrote an email, found out how to send this over to the Coke company, and I sent them an email. And I said, if you promote this, I said, for the, for the time of the promotion, I won't buy any of your stuff. Well, I finally saw that the cans were out on the shelves. And I just saw that on Friday, at least Friday is when I saw it, it was announced that Coca-Cola is pulling it back. They pulled back the promotion. because of, Now they're saying because of, you know, people said it didn't taste the same. <laughs> no. Get up there. Don't just let these people just throw this stuff down your throat. Fight them. Fight them. Let them know. You're not going to take this stuff. The entitlement mentality is contagious. Don't catch it. Don't let people tell you, well, the government ought to do this for you. No, they shouldn't. The government ought to get out of your way. Ought to get out of corporations' way. We keep hearing all this stuff about being focused on jobs. And all we keep doing is stopping jobs from being created. Creating more regulations to prevent more jobs from being created. Closing down ones that are there. Forcing companies to go overseas. This isn't being focused on jobs. I don't care what people say. I want to see what their actions are. They have those kind of actions. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to get close fellowship. I'm going to try and help them out, but I'm not going to get close fellowship with them because that mentality is contagious. Now, generally, if I get around people who have that mentality, I will drive them nuts. Generally, on purpose. We were at a picnic uh, sometime over the summer, and one of the persons at the table identified me, and I identified him. And so there's just sometimes it just gets on me. I just said some stuff just to set him off. And I did. Very well, I might say. Because if I can't help you, I'll aggravate you. If I can't help you, I will get under your skin and I will aggravate you into the truth. And if that won't work, then you'll get away from me, which is fine. If they can't bring you into it, then they are gunning to bring you down. 
This is their mentality. If they cannot bring you into it, they are gunning to bring you down. How many people have we sent to Washington with one type of mentality and once they've gotten there, have picked up that everybody's entitled to all these things? Rick Santorum impresses me because he's a man who survived being in Washington and did not pick that up. There's a few uh, Supreme Court justices who did the same thing. They were put out there and they did not adopt it. There's one I know of who went in as a conservative on, the, on there right now and picked up that mentality because there's a whole lot of pressure to do that. You don't want to have that. So here we go. First off, don't listen or react to what they say. This is tough, but if you want to minister, if you want to deal with the people that have this mentality, this is the first thing you've got to do. Do not listen and don't react to what they say. Don't let it get you upset. Don't react out of emotion. Don't do it. Did Jesus? We've got to follow His example. What did He do? He'd pretend like you're not even hearing Him. Don't fall into the trap of condemning others. Isn't that what these folks wanted to do? They wanted to bring Jesus into the trap of condemning this woman. What did Jesus do? Not going to do it. No, not going to condemn him. Don't know what happened. Don't boast of your righteousness. Don't condemn others. Don't fall into that trap. And don't get over there and you start, well, I don't do those kind of things. Well, I'm not that way. Well, we haven't committed adultery. You planned it. Identify, this is big, identify our lack of ability to judge because of sins. We've got to understand this. For the people that are around us, that we are here to serve and to help, don't let their shortcomings get in the way of you serving them. Understand, my own sins prevent me from casting the first stone. That's what Jesus did. He who was out sin, let him throw the first stone. This is the mentality we've got to keep hold of. I am conscious that I came out of sin. But I'm conscious that I came out. But what I came out of prevents me from passing judgment. We're not the judge. God is. I don't got to pass judgment on it. I can bring you to the Word. This is what the Word says. This is the behavior that will help you the best. Work, go this way. This is what God says to do. Oh, it'll help you out. It'll make life so much easier. People who have entitlement mentality, they got bitterness or pride or both rooted in them as well. And I'll tell you what, they are unhappy people. Whether they are in church or whether they are out of church, they are unhappy people. They do not experience the joy of the Lord. They don't have the strength that comes from the joy of the Lord. They're getting outside of the God's grace. They've got, they picked up pride. And so God resists them because they're not humble. It's all spiraling downward for them. And this is the trap that the devil wants to get people in. Pride bitterness, and eventually entitlement. The cure-all for it all is just focus on being a servant. If you focus on being a servant, you won't pick up on pride, you won't pick up on bitterness, and you certainly won't pick up on entitlement. The joy of the Lord will always be your strength. He is not going to be resisting you because you are humble. And you operate in the grace of God with His mercy, always thanks, being thanks, thankful, giving thanks, always. And it just changes the way you go about life. And the devil wants to get you out of that the best he can. Don't let him. Don't let him. Get around people that have this mentality. You can make it. You can do it. With God, all things are possible. God will strengthen you. God will cause you to succeed and to prosper. God desires good things for you. Stop seeing God as the problem. Don't blame God. God is good. We serve a good God. Glory to God. That we do. Y'all stand up with me. We're going to enjoy the communion table here together. But before we do, there are a couple of things that I wanted us to hear about that, uh, that God has done. Do you have those testimonies ready? And we have one more testimony we'll do here at the end of the service. But my wife had a few I, I wanted her to read. Because we're going to be out there ministering to people and trying to pull people in, into the kingdom of God. One of the things we need to do, if we're going to be out there and reaching people this year, 
we've got to do a better job of this, is to let people know who we're ministering to. Who we are ministering to. Now, we're going to talk about this a little bit at the SALT meeting today. But I want you all to, to put this as a date in your mind. How many know that Christmas falls on Sunday this year? What do you think the odds are that you will get an unsaved person to come out of the church on Christmas Sunday? That good, huh? But yet most unsaved people or unchurched people will go to church two times a year. Christmas and Easter. So, as we're sitting here in the worship service today, this came to me. Invite them the week before. The Sunday before Christmas. It's not a holiday, but it is a Christmas Sunday. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to focus on the Christmas, or the Sunday before Christmas as our day to invite people. I want to know who it is that you are focusing on inviting. And I want you to pass that on through email, through word of mouth, through writing it down on a piece of paper, through phoning it in, through however you want to get the information in. But do not keep it to yourself. I want you to pass it on so that we as a church can begin to pray that those people that you are ministering to will receive the invitation and to come. We've got a number of things that we're going to go over with that as we uh, get into the meeting we'll have here. We'll have more for it. But I want us to focus on this. Sunday, before Christmas, let's invite some people out. I'm working on the neighbors. My wife and I are working on the neighbors on both sides of us. And we're going to give them an invitation to be here the Sunday before Christmas. Now, you got some people that are in your, your neck of the woods. Invite them to be out here the Sunday before Christmas. It's already dropped in me what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to do it yet. I don't know where we're going to go, but I already know what. Now, we'll work on the rest of it uh, later on. But this is what we're aiming for, the Sunday before Christmas. Let's bring some people. They, they're going to go to church somewhere. They're not going to go probably Sunday morning, Christmas morning. But the week before, I bet you we can pull them in. If you believe that, get out there and do it. We got some uh, testimonies on that line. I have one testimony here. Um, we had put out on the prayer, uh, the prayer chain. Miss Gladys had a somebody. She said that she had the surgery for that and has been discharged. We were able to catch it in time and able to go through this. Another testimony came in. From, can you take this up any higher? Okay. Can you hear it now? Okay. Um, the other thing was um, I got a testimony from John. He's away at school. And um, he was ministering to one of his friends. And he's been a lifelong friend. And he was able to minister the word to him. And he got born again. He saved. So now he is, you know, sending me these emails. Ms. Khan, we have this question. We're having this conversation. You know, how do I respond to this? What, what do I say? Um, the other thing is John has also been ministering to, I don't want to say ministering to, but he's been having conversations with some of his teachers out there. And uh, his, he called this one a, a disciple, uh, dis, a leadership disciple or something like that. And he had questions about that. So, you know, the kids are taking this charge very, very seriously, and they are talking to people at school. They're taking what they've been taught here, and they're, they're doing like Pastor said, not just, he, you know, allowing the things that they hear to become a part of them, but they're putting a stand up, and they're saying, no, that doesn't line up with the Word of God. So they've been taught well, they've been trained well, and they've been, they're, they're doing just what the Word says. They're putting it out there and, and being a witness to people. Um, I, I have a couple others, but we're going to share them at the SALT meeting today. But like Pastor said, when I sent out that email to everybody, um, I did it the week before Thanksgiving, and I, I understand it was Thanksgiving week, and a lot of people were traveling, and I kind of figured that's why I didn't hear from a lot of you. So we announced it again last Sunday, and you know, I still didn't hear from a lot of you about who you're talking to and who you're ministering to. And I did put the reason that we want to know in the email. Um, and since then, I've been just really taking it to the Lord about the corporate anointing of prayer. When you see through the Word of God, when people prayed on their own, there's an anointing there, but there's something about the corporate anointing. And what that is is it's called the unity of the Spirit. Because the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's power, there's freedom, there's unity in that spirit. And so when, when I know that I, if I come to everybody and I say, I'm praying for my neighbor, her name is Chris, and the reason why she's having a hard time coming to church with us is this. This is what we're up against. Well, okay, now we as an army have our battle plan. 
You know, we know this is what we have to overcome in Chris's life in order to get her here. And so, you know, I was talking with somebody else about, well, you know, if I'm just praying for somebody or, or ministering to them, what's the importance of, of this? This is it, guys. This is so that as we behind the scenes are praying for one another and, and encouraging each other and praying for those people that we're ministering to, then when they come in, guess what? It's not just Vanessa that rejoices for that one, but it's all of us rejoicing and we all have a, um, it's like a common denominator. We all have a part in that. And that's why I put in there the little, uh, the chicken, uh, was chicken, chicken little, the, the little red hen syndrome, where she found the, the grains of corn and she wanted to make it into meal, and nobody would help her. But boy, when it was burning in the oven and it was cooking, it was smelling good. Everybody wanted to have a part of it. Well, this is us grinding the corn. This is us make, making it into meal and making it into that dough that then we can all partake of the inheritance after that, you know, the joy of seeing a life changed. Mm. So get us all together on the same page. Send in those emails so that we can all pray together about it and then rejoice together when we see the results. So we rejoice with, uh, with Sharon knowing she's been healed. It makes you laugh sometimes about the timing of certain things and, and how things come about and how you hear some things when you need to hear them the most. And um, some of you may know, because I went to the College of Worcester, which is a small liberal arts school out in Ohio, and I had a blast for four years. I had a great experience and loved everything about it. and really became entrenched in the school, and the school became entrenched in me. And I did a lot for the school. I was on their website. I was on their publications. I was a tour guide. I was representative of everything you can imagine. And I'm still on their website and still everything you can still imagine um, to be a part of the school. And so when I left, I graduated in May, uh, and when I left for commencement, there was a, an asterisk next to my name. And some of you may know the story. If you don't, I'll, I'll go through it real fast of what really happened. was that I had a Spanish class, and my professor decided to knock down my grade to a failing grade. And so that asterisk meant that I wasn't going to graduate, that I could walk in commencement, but I wouldn't get my diploma. And so when I first saw it, I, I was stunned, obviously. I had no idea what was going on. I knew it was wrong, and it, it couldn't be correct. And I went through the appeal process for about three months, really, going back and forth between the professor and my advisors and the, and the committees and up to the president rank. And all they could say to me was, I'm sorry, that, that the professor's rank outranked my decision, that even though I had improved what was going on, I had the numbers, I had everything to show, that I couldn't, that didn't matter. And it was up to her. And for so long, I went through a really long six months. I mean, from, from May until, until now, a really, really tough time. Hearing from people all the time. And it's funny, again, when, when I first came back this summer and Pastor was just starting the, the series on bitterness, it was, it was just ironic in the fact that for so long, I was so bitter against people that I went to school with. A school I love so much, I've given a lot of money to, that has done a lot for me. I was so, so bitter for so long. that Everybody was saying to me that I was entitled to my diploma which I thought I was as well, too. I had worked my butt off for the last four years for the school, have become an advocate for the school, and still an advocate for the school, that yesterday I was doing a college fair for them after all they've done against me in the last six months. And I got so hurt and so bitter that I held on it for so long. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't go on Facebook and talk about it. I didn't go and call my friends because it hurt that much. I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to be mean about the school that I love so much because it wasn't, it wasn't them. It was one person I had a problem with. And for so long, I, just, I, I, I couldn't let go of it. Until, and again, it was even worse is the fact that some of you also may know that I had a prayer request go out earlier this summer about a job interview at St. Joseph University, a, a prominent school in Philadelphia that I, I loved a lot and actually went through the whole entire process. They held the application process for me for an extra two weeks because I was in Ohio doing certain things. They interviewed over 250 people, and it came down that they hired me for that job. And it was great. And that was the first step, and it was like, awesome, this is, this is great. Until they found out I didn't have my degree still. And they actually took back the offer um, off the table, and I actually lost that job. And enough that that same week I actually got an email from one of my former bosses that told me that the company I worked for this summer, um, that I still work for now, wasn't really ready to hire me either. They wanted me to do part-time, which, again, really didn't fit in what I was really wanted to do. I really wanted to work full-time for them. And he told me that this company will never really hire you. They'll never kind of put you in that situation. Not yet, at least. You're not really ready. And, again, for so long I, just, I kept telling on this whole entire idea that it's not going to work out. And I was entitled to something for so long. Until, again, pastors started talking about this idea of entitlement, that if you let go of the things that hold on to you for so long, that your heart can only hold so much. And if it's good, you can't let good in, which I didn't ever get. I never got the idea behind the fact that if I let things go, I have so much room for other stuff. So that kind of brings me this is a lot, it's a lot longer story than that. If you're interested in the entire story, I can tell you later on. But it came down to this, that, again, I had a job interview at Ryder University two weeks ago. And, again, I was out of 300 people. I, there was, they brought six to campus. I was the last one to come to campus. And it was really funny how, again, how things work out. The person I interviewed with is actually good friends of Mandy Lamar. 
small world. They actually, she was in her, their wedding a couple years ago. Um, and so I sent a, a text to Pastor, and Pastor sent out to all you guys, and I really appreciate all the prayer. And enough that I was hired in the job for writing. Um, I was hired for the job, but not that is a fourth more pay on top of it. Um, it's less travel. Um, I can now carpool with my mom on the way to work, which would be a, an adventure, say at least for the next year and a half of my life. Um, enough that it, it's funny because the, the expression I heard for so long was, and, and even the people, sometimes in church and people, we have this idea is that as long as you forgive, you can not forget it. You can just hold on to it again and just put it in the back of your mind and never, ever get past that. And what God said to me, and it, it's funny because it really kind of just broke me, and it really kind of made me really revel on how awesome he is. He said, because you forgave them, I never forgot about you. I never forgot about all that you went through and how much it's, it's been hell on earth for the past three months. Going through everything I can imagine, from going from getting a job that offered me the top amount of money I thought I was ever going to get, to losing it and have it slip out of my hands because somebody made a mistake. And I held it for so long. But he said, because you forgave them and I let go of it and loved them, I can now love you even more than you ever can imagine. Hmm. On top of the pay you were supposed to get, on top of the travel they promised you, on top of everything like that, I gave you more. I gave you everything hmm. that you thought you wanted, but I gave everything I knew you needed. And that just blew me away. And so, again, hmm. it's just funny how pastors have been talking about this for so long. And it's so idea, again, we're entitled to certain things, and we hold on that we are, we have this. It's supposed to be ours. And it's not, because ours compares nothing to his. Absolutely nothing compared to his. And when you hold on to things so long, you have no room left over. And when you sit back and say to yourself, I'll let you go so I can go behind you. And it's just funny how it all works out that I got the phone call and the guy said to me, it's just something about you. We interviewed 300 people and it came down to you and another person, but it was something about you that made it different. <laughs> and I said, I said, it's not me. It's him. You know what I mean? It's not me because what you saw in me isn't me. It's what you saw through me and you saw him. And I can't wait. I start next Monday. The job's going to be a lot of fun. I get to travel and work with inner-city area children and multicultural things and really get to be a blessing to people who need it. Yeah. And all because I let go of all the things wrong. It was so tough not to just, just mm. go off and say, this isn't right. This is not right. This is so wrong that the school who I said that I fought for, that's supposed to be about the students and about the process and about getting a job when you're done leaving college, was the one that held me back for so long. That because I forgave, he never got what his promise was to me is that I'm going to do better. And so I'm going to be working for a school that I, I love. And I get to do everything and be a blessing past what I say. So that's my kind of message and my testimony, my proclamation as well. Amen. Hmm. Amen. Amen. Good testimony. Love hearing those testimonies where you take the word, apply it, changes the, what's going on in the situation, and all oh, that's good. We're praying for Bob, too, for a job that favor comes in for him. I've just been praying on his situation that every time he walks in, they're going to sense that aura that the word of, word of God has built in him. And they're going to say, we want this influence in, the, in where we work. And it's going to be there. You all agree with us on that. Father, we thank you for a good day. We thank you for the things that are ahead for us. And we thank you that we are guarded against this mentality. It is not a mentality that you like. It's a mentality that you are against and that is against you. And we will make sure we keep it out of our life. Thank you, Father, for the help that you give us to minister to other people who are caught up in this, getting them to focus on their own need for salvation, their own sins, and not the sins of others. Get them to focus on serving other people. Thank you for the help that you give us. We know that there's some we won't be able to pull out, but there are those who desire to leave that. Thank you for the help that you give us on that. I also pray for the Sunday before Christmas that we are able to be bold, to invite, to challenge, and to bring people to hear the word of God, receive from the worship of God, and let the Spirit of God minister to them 